What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 63. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your day. I know it's uh, still crazy out there, but it's getting better day after day. Beaches are slowly opening up in Cali and everywhere else. I kind of predicted what was going to happen with this whole OC thing that it was basically just a slap on the wrist to kind of get all the local government people to get their act together. To be honest, they didn't at first and now they are and people are being allowed onto the beach and that's been great. Parking at some of the state parks, uh, state beach parks rather, is opening up to 50% down here in Orange County. Still no word on San Onofre. I know you can bike in and you could get dropped off, which is at least something. And with some swell coming up this coming week, I'm hoping they open it up a little bit more. I think it's much more of a complicated issue for them to regulate parking there because they can regulate people coming in and out. But how are you going to regulate how close cars park to each other? Which is something that they're doing at the other beaches. I think they have uh, parking spots dotted off and stuff. Slowly but surely, we're able to surf, we're able to go into the water, and I think that's good, especially with the weather getting better. I think that's great. So just stick tight. I think everything's gonna be good. Red tide is gone, swell's coming in, that sort of thing. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast, volume 63. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch drops, where we have videos, news, blog postings, a little bit of everything. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player or whatever player you are listening to in order to see the track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So this episode, we got to interview a friend of ours, Colin Whitbread. Colin Whitbread's from Oceanside, California. Surfer, artist, chef, amazing guy. Got to talk to him about some of his experience growing up in Oceanside working on Forbidden Trim, which is one of my favorite surf films, his sushi biz, and pivoting in this kind of crazy time. Also got to talk to none other than Corey Nolan from Hydrophile. Corey's been producing some amazing fins. I got one of his fins. I just wanted to talk to him and so you guys can see what he's all about and hopefully order some of his product. Lastly, we have some short takes. The first short take is Case Study 03 with Troy Elmore from Daydream. The second is Pentecostal from Vans, amazing surf film. I want to talk a little bit about that. And I'm wrapping it up with a clip from New Zealand called Fantastic Revolution from Le Noel Surfboards. So those are our short takes. Now in terms of the music, as you can tell, it's a little bit different. And I've been getting into different things recently, mostly because I started playing bass again and trying to go into my library of influences and what turns me on to play. And I've been stumbling into a lot of random jazz, funk, Afro stuff, uh, you know, just really on that end of the spectrum. And I wanted to do this episode where I put some of that music out there. So I'm starting off with some modern crossover jazz, some L. Michaels Affair, and then slowly getting into some of the bebop classics and some Cuban Latin jazz, and then ending with a trip to Africa. I've really been getting into a lot of African music recently and rediscovering things that I hadn't listened to in a while. So sit back, relax, listen to the tracks, and I'll be with you guys in a little bit. Peace.
This episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder is a company that was started by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They work with the best scientists to formulate clean performance products instead of what you see in most brands out there. Unlike other supplements, they get every batch tested by a third-party lab to make sure you are getting the highest quality products straight to you. They sent me a bunch of their products and I was able to test them. And it was really cool because I actually use protein powders and a lot of these supplements in my daily regimen and my daily life. The ones that I really liked were their whey protein powders, their vanilla, their chocolate. They're really good, they're really clean. I blend it with some fruit or sometimes just water if I just need a clean shake. They performed really well and worked for me in all my workouts and in my surfs. I noticed that I had a consistent energy and performance level that I normally don't have from protein powders. I didn't feel tired. I didn't feel hungry. It was like perfect. And that shake bottle that they have makes it so easy that you don't have to even use a blender. You could just drop water into it and be ready to go. That's why it's ideal to like keep the packets in your car, keep the bottle in your car and just mix it up when you need it. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport, L-A-D-D-E-R.sport.
Welcome back to volume 63 of the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Hope you guys have been enjoying the tracks. You know, I got turned on to El Michael Affair, I think how a lot of people did, when he did all that Wu-Tang stuff. And then he just came out with this new album, which I love. I think his work and uh, Adrian Young's and all those people who've done work for with hip-hop groups, their work is amazing. And I love listening to any of their new stuff. They just keep on putting out great hits and dope tracks. And I just wanted to share some of those. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast, volume 63. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page bodegabordercrew.com for merch drops, track listings, blog posts, whatever you want to call it. Also, make sure to check this episode description on your iTunes player or whatever player you choose to use. I really don't care. Just listen, read. Uh, For track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So this episode, we got to talk to our boy Colin Whitbread from Oceanside, California. Colin is an amazing surfer, really amazing guy. Every time I get to see him, I'm really happy. And uh, he's like one of the people that I miss seeing during this. So uh, we were able to talk about growing up in Oceanside, surfing, that sort of thing. Also, his work with George Trim on Forbidden Trim, which is one of my favorite surf films that's come out in the last, you know, five or six years. And uh, yeah, just take a listen. I hope you guys enjoy. So what's your name and where are you from? Uh, my name's Colin McBride. I'm from Oceanside, California. And I live in Oceanside, California. So you, you were born and raised there? Yeah. one of the, You know, there's a lot, bunch of locals, but like for all of the, I can't say hype now, but what, you know, for the reputation Oceanside has, yeah, I was born and raised here. Okay. Um, and, and how did you, when did you first get into surfing? Like what age? You, my dad... Uh, is a surfer still surfs now you know, in okay. his late 60s oh awesome um he introduced me you know and like we lived down you know he had we, a place to stay like down in tiramar and carlsbad and some of my earliest memories were being like in like middle school age and going to the beach and surfing be, doing like you know surf camp stuff and uh, it was just it was california oh, okay just like it, it just like it was bound to happen i mean yeah, especially for dad was huge, yeah dude i remember skateboarding too as a kid like in the early 80s, you know, uh, was just wild. Like people had ramps. It was like a really big deal. Um, yeah. Well, we were we were jealous of you guys. Like being on the East Coast, <laughs> like 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 we saw pictures and we were like, what? Kids have ramps? Like what is this? We have a piece of plywood and a brick. Like, like... Yeah. no. And I remember like giant half pipes too, Alex. Like in the back of you, Gi- you know, twenty foot vert. You know, like, no, no. We'd see pictures of it. We're like, we're like, wait, well, what? Like you guys have vert ramps? Like it was this real. Is, this yeah, isn't even real. like a jump ramp. This is like legit. No. Like yeah. And so, then I grew up to like, you know, just like 10, 15 minutes inland, you know, like at the very edge of Oceanside. Uh-huh. Uh, it was all orange groves and um, like new construction and stuff. So it was like a really iconically strange time to be a kid where you could run around and like build crazy forts and dress in camouflage and like Red Dawn and come out. You know, yeah. it was a big deal, like being a kid. Yeah. G.I. Joe, like all that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny when, you know, we're going to talk about Forbidden Trim. Um, mm. Me and George both feel that, like, growing up, uh-huh. we dwelled a lot of that, like, making the film and realizing, like, how much Army Man influence kind of was in our lives. And growing up next to Camp Pendleton your whole life, too, is another trip as a kid. Yeah, like, yeah. Hearing howitzers going off and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, played into the part. But um, Forbidden Trim was kind of like, 
living out that childhood fantasy of making a you know army man it's like yeah surf film or something like that you know no which was awesome so i mean growing up surfing and skating and stuff um oceanside were you at all in in the like competitive scene no, no, I've never been, and I, never, I don't think I ever will be going to no, 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 co- competitive surfing. Um, I did it, you know, in middle school and high school, we were like on surf teams and doing that. And the, the funniest thing is even back then in middle school, I was longboarding. I've been longboarding like, yeah. you know, forever yeah. like that. Maybe it's a detrimental in certain yeah. aspects of like, you know, you should have like learned to shortboard better. I like shortboarding a lot now, but uh, I was longboarding then and I was always like on the longboarding competitive side of it there. But I, I was never, I was never, you know... I was never really good at it, um, probably until I started in college and stuff. I really enjoyed it in high school and stuff and did it like crazy. I was passionate about it. But um, some guys in surfing, I think, have like natural talent. Yeah. And then some people, you know, have to work a long time to mm-hmm. finite. I think that's what makes like the really, really good guys so special. You're like, Jesus, like this is effortless for you. you yeah, yeah. Son of a bitch. Well, no, I mean, I think it's like that in like almost any sport. Like you do have like, yeah. like you Michael do. Michael Jordan. You know, yeah. Like, like Michael Jordan is a, like a talent and work ethic, right? right so like right, you have both of right, them, or like a Co- right. like a Kobe. Kobe's like right. talent, work ethic. But there were tons of NBA players who were like they got by in college, and everyone thought they'd be amazing, and they had amazing talent, but they had no work ethic. And when they got right. to the NBA, they sucked. Right. And then right. you have like a someone like a Chauncey Billups, right? Didn't necessarily have talent, but he busted his butt every right. single day. And you, be, and you can become great through that, and yeah. like learn and be passionate. So. I think, you know, over time, um, I've just tried to be as consistent as possible, be as healthy as possible. And yeah. Now, like, you know, do a lot of yoga, stretch a bunch, be yeah. flexible, eat right, not try to yeah. drink too much or, you know. No, no, it's harder as you get older. Look, oh, I, my I, God, I, your body I, just starts No, no, I get more it. More like, more. dude, I'm 46. I totally understand. I'm, I'm battling a time machine. I'm like. Do you, do you know what I think, like, the longboarding bug really, really bit me? The, the best growing up here there was a couple longboard guys in our booth and you know donald's shop was here and stuff yeah. like that um but it wasn't until i was in college and on the college surf team i met a bunch of guys from um like bolsa chico we had a surf gang called the bolsa chicos uh-huh so funny, from bolsa we all made surf all we surfed was bolsa chico it was hilarious <laughs> but there were some great guys there was like the bruce jones crew and that's where it like longboarding and like the world of it like just it became infectious, you know. And what year? Uh, Lo- Loafer was another guy too. What year was that? Like around what year? This was like you know what I remember nine eleven. I was in college, so this was like two thousand, two thousand one was nine eleven. I think. Yeah. So like during that time, I graduated ninety eight. Okay, so okay. I'm, I'm, I've got some age to me now. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I've aged enough to have my opinion no no which is good which is good no because i'm always curious about that because there's obviously different people experience this kind of in i lack of a better term like a longboard and enlightenment at different eras of it you know some people was like when sprout came out and some people was that later was so yeah. so like i always am like curious like what was well and that, and that was that time when sprout fucking came out too yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and that yeah. was like game changing and um you know, and I'm friends with Dane now. At that time, I don't think I didn't know him, and like his part alone in that thing was yeah. just like, like the black and white thing. And he's so small, and so and he still surfs like that today. Um, oh yeah, it's a timeless thing. <laughs> no, no, I know, and it's crazy. It's crazy to think that that you know that movie is the be- is is kind of the marker, the historic marker people use, which is fair and it's unfair in a certain way. It's fair because it is that one piece that you could identify, but all this stuff. 
he, they were filming it. It was happening. It wasn't like they made right. a like you know for right. like Dane was surfing, right. Joel was surfing, right. Cassie was. They surfing. just captured it in a way that no one had really packaged. Yeah, yeah, like that. You know, and it's funny too because and I'm gonna give a shout out because I love him so much is Steve Cleveland. Yeah, um, Surfcraft Media. Yeah, his he in, in my opinion like he was the first one to like remake longboarding movies like i don't remember when on safari came on on safari Day came out yeah uh joel's like 14 or something in that you know he's like, like nothing like, like a little child he's like, a, you know and i, I want to say wingnut wasn't it too isn't it? i think so i think he was okay yeah. and they went down to mexico and stuff but i remember like the video store down the street from my house had uh copies of it you know yeah. and i i think we even bought it and like i you know, i watched it a thousand times yeah and like there was such a big gap from that point to like let's say the end of longboarding um you know, in the late sixties and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. They were like you just you didn't see much of it. And it was weird to be like a longboard person because we didn't have that many movies. So Steve was a big part in like bringing that around too, I think. No, and I think a lot of people a lot of people I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people neglect that because they do mention yeah, they, they do they, they do mention the movie, they're like, Oh, that was the movie and then there was like Thomas's films, right? But a lot of people like it's a generational thing. They like Thomas's films, Thomas which they they get, it was Thomas Thomas was art. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, but it's like kind of like it's it's like people forget like Steve Cleveland like definitely brought that resurgence where he was like he was tapped into it. And what's amazing right. about him for me now is like he just put out something recently with CJ to see that like career right to see his career and where the different pinpoints of longboarding that he's touched with his film and all of the different writers. No, it's it's that's you know that's Steve's art. Yeah. And he's been on top of it and dedicated for a long time. It's funny too when you see younger uh, guys doing longboard filming stuff. You know, a lot of them, they're doing so much good work too. But then there's also like this attitude of being young and being like, well, I kind of know everything. You're like, yeah, but like, you should talk to no. a guy like Steve and like pick up as much as you can because he's got so many interesting insights about what he's done and where he's gone and, mm -hmm. who's, and who's good. And what, you know, and Steve's always really critical of style. And that's yeah. what really makes his things step apart it's like you know he gets the right wave and the right song and the right mm -hmm. edit and and puts it out and makes that surf porn <laughs> well no and the thing that's good about him is that i know from ryan who does log rap like like he's yeah. been mentoring a lot of them like ryan yes. speaks him yes. a lot and like yes. i think that's yeah. amazing and that's yeah. that's again goes back to like the surf the surf ethos of real surf culture like you're supposed to pass this down to the next yeah. generation like a lot of these filmmakers who are like really guarded and they don't don't want to talk about right. stuff it's like you're you're defeating the purpose of what you do i think on a certain level so it's nice to see like steve be one of those people that's like he sure, takes yeah. people under his wing and he's like oh yeah like you should do this because like like the film we're working on like ryan keeps on in the editing process ryan keeps on bringing up he's like oh steve said this and steve said that and steve said this and i'm like like it's kind of annoying on a certain level, but it's great too because I'm like, right. okay, this is awesome. Like you're, we're making that transition from his films, and it's somehow influencing what we're doing. Now, yeah. speaking of films, so you um, did a movie that I love, and uh, is really fun and different, um, Forbidden Trim. So how did yeah. how did first of all how did your relationship with George start out in the first place? Um, you know. Uh, which is funny it's like I, me and George have met and hung at Sano a couple times but maybe we're close George is a really interesting person yeah um, it wasn't until La Femme the French band uh, they like lived with me off and on for years the beginning they would come out here and stay with me for like two months and stuff and they wanted to shoot a surf move 
the music video for one of their songs. Um, and George, they picked or found, you know, they wanted George to do it. Okay. And so Lafemme was in my house, and George came to the house, and they had like a meeting talking about uh, Sir La Planche. I think that was the thing they were doing. And um, it was kind of funny, you know, I didn't know really what to think of all of it. And then George was starting to make like a movie about like terrorists and surfers or stuff, but you know, he didn't really have like a script script to make it. Okay. And not to say that like I had an agenda either, but we were kind of talking about like doing maybe like um, this movie about these surfers who want to go surfing and terrorists get them or something. And, you know, like maybe there's this crazy guy that lives in the jungle that can save them. Super loose. And so they were kind of like, well, dude, I'm like an army man. It'd be cool to make him like a commando. The fun part about the beginning of making it was just like, let's throw things into a hat that we love. Right. And like an environment that we love. And then like pulp film and stuff. And then stuff like Bruce Mini. Um, and then like Ray Harryhausen, the guy that made all of the um, 1920, 1930s, like dinosaur, those black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of stop that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, let's figure out if we can tell a really interesting story about uh like these surfers so we went down to costa rica and they were doing a trip and they were planning on shooting a bunch of stuff and you can see some of the stuff in the movie some of it's like beyond brilliant and that's why the project kept going on it took a long time but they were down there that stuff with the horses and like the masks yeah and stuff, yeah it's in black and white that's really grainy and in focus and it looks so cool. I mean, it's insane after how many times we messed up. Yeah. To see that stuff, I'm like, how the hell did you shoot yeah. this? So incredible. And there were so many other times, you know, like later in the project that we were just a disaster. Like, we forgot to put film in the camera. Oh, my God. You know, and I had to shoot stuff over because 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter, it's unforgiving. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, no, it's... The, it's the, that... the camera sounds like it's shooting. Yeah. But the, the film might not be wound. It might not be in there. Yeah. It's not like digital. Yeah. Uh, so we went down to Costa Rica, and Alex was there, Jared was there, and um, George and stuff were there. And we had the idea of like, all right, dude, listen, you know, let's have this guy character, you know. It was so loose and crazy. We were thinking about like, yeah. we, I just jumped and swam around in the Crocodile River, that stuff from coming out of the Crocodile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was real crocs in there. We were just being ridiculous. The surf was fun. We got a lot of really good stuff. Um, and then when we came back, we just kept working on the story of like, how does this footage, how can this evolve into like a larger story? Right. Um, and what are our skill sets to be able to like enhance the storytelling aspect of the movie? And yeah. that's where we got into like doing the miniature stuff. Yeah, because the miniature stuff is really, it's really cool. And like, I, it's interesting you brought up that, that old reference because that's exactly what it reminded me of. It reminded me right. of like kind of a new version of like those old dinosaur movies. Right. Like I was totally right. like, oh my God, this is so fun right. to watch. Right, and I mean, you know, when we did it with such little money to make a movie, it's ridiculous that we pulled it off. Yeah. And still, like, I, you know, George spent three times what I spent to make the film. Mm -hmm. And we spent years making it. Um, it would be incredible to, like, approach the project or the world that we created with, like, a budget um, and, like, a timeline and be able to, like, knock it out. I think we could probably do something really interesting too. And we learned so much making a movie yeah. by making a movie. Yeah. And that's what I think George will tell people too. Like, if you want to do film and stuff, you're like, well, dude, you know, like, throw yourself into it. Headphones. No, no, and, and it's... Like, 
it's most people and especially in the surf world it's like i just interviewed mikey de temple like he talks about it like like you just gotta kind of do it and like whatever the happens ones, happens they're gonna be raw like yeah. they're gonna be really raw but you're gonna learn yeah every single time you know and i'm sure like mikey knows how to edit so yeah at the beginning he didn't end up doing that and that's you know george now gets paid to be an editor for television shows yeah 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 like because he learned how to edit editing forbidden shit which is like one of the hardest aspects of filmmaking is editing it and that's the like paintbrush that puts it all yeah together um so we shot that stuff and then we came back and we started working on the story and then we shot like another like loose one that stuff where i'm walking through the mustard stuff yeah yeah and it came out so insane that we were we were like man i think we have something like really cool here and um we can kind of like tell a like story about what's kind of going on in the world of longboarding so we use stuff in the duct tape and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and spin it into this like you know 1980s kid fantasy of like this commando and then you know as the film starts getting taking shape gotta have to have a main character and it was easier to kind of be like well we should focus on the Kilroy character just because it's kind of colorful and rich yeah and maybe there's a way we can do it that doesn't feel like it's too corny yeah um and tell the story through that and like it's such a funny like pulp film thing if you talk about like a commando that has to use surfers as spies yeah yeah um, you know and so it was something we could pull off and we had the george was doing the duct tape stuff with vans and vans was like helping us here and there do some stuff you know to make sure and then you know george was a wheel and dealer he had kodak help us with the film and oh wow there was a lot of stuff we had to do with shopping at like military stores to get all the costumes and stuff and the thing just kept evolving, evolving. When we finally like sat down and wrote the script for it, where we wanted to go from like A to Z, um, I think it's really interesting when you finish a project, yeah, and have a project like come to life. No, no, and it's like, look, I, I know, I know, it's like you know, I'm sitting on something we're working on for two years. I totally get it, uh, but it's like, so when you guys were done with it, this is the interesting thing, and that I kind of wanted to tap into a little bit. So when you guys were done. What was the idea of the distribution model? Like, what were you thinking? You know what? There also comes a certain point, too, when you only have so much control over certain projects. And, you know, like, and this was George's right. film and project. And at that time, too, like, throughout this whole entire movie, I was working my ass off. I was building my, like, private sushi business, you know, and doing parties to survive. I was yeah. also working on the, the Pilgrim, the boat that sunk. And that's where I... You know, that's where I claim to get most of my acting chops from. It's like was being a character actor on that boat for 12, 15 years. I did it for a long time. Oh, I didn't college. know that. At the, yeah, so at the Oceanic the, Center? Yeah, the Ocean Institute. And that's like improv acting boot camp, man. Because you're oh. on for like, and you can treat it serious or not as you want. But I was out of my mind. You know, yeah. I made some really great characters and like was able to tap into that like meditative side of <laughs> acting or trying to create yeah, a yeah. person. And so... I was working there on purpose when we were filming for Ben Trim because, like, I was in my acting zone. Um, so when it finally came time to release it, dude, like, we were burnt out, man. We made that film at least over four or five years. Oh, now, you gotta Jesus. ask yourself, like, have you look at my haircuts in the beginning? Yeah. Shots compared to like how much I aged by the end of it. I mean, I can see it. Maybe some people can't, but um, it takes a toll on you, dude. You know, like, I spent, you know tens of thousands of dollars you know i would estimate like 60 or seventy thousand dollars making that movie okay over five years for sure Whoa. not including my time and like i'm saying george spent triple that whoa so how do you spend that much money and then like never see return on it either it's a well, hard thing well so no, like 
No, it is. I mean, I, the thing that I thought was interesting and like what I liked about it is that you guys were selling it on that VFX like platform, whatever it was. Like I remember buying it on that and I never heard of that platform. And I was like, yeah, these guys, like I know, it's like these guys busted their ass. Of course I'm going to buy the right. movie. Like I'm not going to like try to find this somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know. It, it, it was, it, we could only go so far just because we didn't really have enough money distribution wise yeah. to get it out to enough people. And unfortunately, too, today, man, stuff just gets washed away, as I like to call it, or like washed out. Yeah. There's so much content out there, and longboarding, and I love our group so much, we're a very specific group, very small. Yeah. As much as we want to think it's like... No, no. You know what I mean? Like, for, for if you look at the surfing world, if it took, like, the population of the planet, if yeah. you took the longboarding world, it's even smaller fraction yeah, yeah. of that. So, like, the people in our group, though, loved it. And yeah. they appreciated it so much because it was so DIY. Yeah. That like that was the payoff in the end for me. It became a cult classic, man. People love talking to me about it because it's like it's no. just like the synthesis of art and the music that George did. It was just one of those like things. So who knows? You know, like it we did get to do some really cool premieres. You know, we went to Amsterdam and did a premiere like at a movie theater in Amsterdam and it was like one oh, of the cool. coolest it was one of the coolest experiences yeah. of my life to be in Amsterdam running around that town hanging with these people like watching the movie that was literally the last time I promised myself I was never going to watch the movie again <laughs> uh, because it was such a perfect experience and at that time dude if, you know when you make the movie yeah by that time I'd seen the movie 600 times I mean I don't you're even know done. you were like I don't want it probably you're it, like I'm over you know, it yeah 10,000 times for yeah real. it's incredible you're like I can't do this anymore no you're but, a... you know I, I've watched it you know recently with the kids not too long ago and like it, it's it's a really good film it's just it, it missed its mark someone yeah. in Hollywood didn't see it and be like whoa and I have a lot of like Hollywood clients that are producers and directors and I have like you know my director uh, client Jesse Bacho, he made his dad made uh, NYPD Blue. Okay. And uh, and you know he uh, Jesse's the director now, and he shoots like Agents of Shield and stuff like that. And uh, he was like, man, I loved it. You know, you guys, you just went for it. You just shot yeah. it. You guys are you guys are just wild. But how does that translate to other work? And like, am I going to be? Well, that's 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 a tough thing, right? It's but we're not LA. We're not LA or New York. You know, we're not. Yeah, but that's the... there. But at the same token, like for George, like it worked out like, you know, it's a portfolio piece. Like it's like you could like basically be like, look, I know how to edit and I know how to do this and people hire him out. Uh, But I just think it's an amazing film. I like I still no, no, no. And I still have the T-shirt and I I love that shirt. And like I remember like I didn't get a chance to go to the premiere uh, because we were out of town. But like, like, again, I love (laughs) which one, the La Paloma one. Yeah, the La Paloma one. You know, and like for me. When you talk about like life moments and like being an artist, yeah, uh, sometimes you have these like profound experiences, you know, like this Nirvana like just experience. Um, that night of the La Paloma one, probably like it was the second um, showing of it. Yeah, like as the movie had finished, we were sitting up top in like the top balcony, and like the credits were rolling, and people just went insane you know i mean like it was yeah. it was such a crazy feeling that like it was it was really intense man like i'll never ever uh forget it it was it was like a one in a million thing well from an art perspective i don't think you're gonna like it's impossible to do any other art form that you're gonna get that type of reception right like if you if you paint if you do like film is the is one of the things film and music are the two things probably that like it gets performed in front of a big audience and, and you can feel it 
and good or bad, you're gonna know. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna find out right then and there. And sometimes, like, look, I used to play in bands. It could be really bad, and sometimes it could be really good. You yeah. know, so you got yeah. to experience that really good side of it, which is amazing. I just, yeah. lo- again, I love the film. I love that it was, you know, like not just a surfing battle. I like the whole like idea of it. Right. Like, like we created I- it co- created a cool world. Like honestly, like it's it's amazing. We want to revisit it. And uh, we've been talking about sitting down and writing a script. We've been so busy with so much yeah, yeah. other stuff. All of a sudden, you release it, and then it's going to you know you go, oh "My God, a couple of years have gone by. Like, we should have been doing." You this guys should. I mean, you got you guys definitely shouldn't. I think there's there's probably there's definitely. And no. you know what's funny too is like I don't want to like spoil anything, but with everything that's going on now, there's a lot of like similarities to stuff that like me and George have been talking about. It like, what if it was like you know impossible to go surfing and like yeah. Uh, like you know, you know, and you have to wear mat. Like you know, we were talking about that years ago. Of like, how can you tell a story that's not too crazy? And now this stuff's happening. I'm like, shit, dude, we would have been right on. Yeah, you would have been right on. But that now doing it, it's like, uh, that's the but, last yeah, thing. But, people now, people, but people can relate to that now yeah. because we're all experiencing that. So maybe there's something um, there. We're actively. We've been having like weekly talks about where we want to go with it and what we want to do with it. And you know, like I said. It, just to go back two seconds ago, film is like the ultimate synthesis of art today. Yeah. It's color, it's shape, it's motion, it's music, it's mm-hmm. the combination of, you know, having composition just right. It's the total synthesis of all kinds of art form today yeah. to put into one thing. That's why it holds such popular attention. And for me, being able to paint and create sets that we used on the thing, it was just like I was using every single skill I had to bear mm-hmm. to like achieve this thing and um i, I love it i love it i love well, it well, so, like i said we'll have to come back as kill right well i mean look here's the thing that you touch upon that i think is really interesting and, and no one's ever talked about it on this level is the fact that surf film specifically surf film it does take every single skill involved and not just in it's what goes into the movie but then also post how you get oh my God. right like the whole thing <laughs> like like making a surf film even if it's 10 minutes long all the yeah. work that you put in, you've covered every single technical base you possibly could in art. Like, yeah, it's done, and all for like an emotional response. Now, one thing you 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 touched upon uh, briefly that I wanted to talk to you about is you're saying like how busy you are with your sushi business. So, how did you? How did this? How did becoming a sushi chef start for you? How did... Um, I just had a necessity, you know. And I tell like a lot of my other like got kids that I'm mentoring now. Uh, some people get it really easy and some people have to really work for it, man. And um, to survive, you know, like I was running gallery and I was painting a bunch, but like, God, it was 2008. Okay. When the financial crisis hit, I'd already been working maybe sushi for like a year or two. Okay. So maybe it was 2006 I started. Uh-huh. I've been doing sushi for a minute now. I was selling tons of art at that time and been selling lots and lots of paintings. And like when the financial crisis hit, in 2008, man, that business just evaporated for a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, especially art. It's like anything. It was done. It was done. Yeah, I was in that world, so I get it. Like, it was. So, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people. Surfers are so artistic. Yeah. A lot of people can sympathize with that. And, like, I had to get, like, you know, a dishwashing job. I wasn't yeah. washing dishes at that time. And I gone through that, like, phase of it. But um, having a restaurant job, getting cash in hand that day, working hard for it, you know, allowed me to survive. Um, and so, you know, you fast forward to now, I've been doing like a catering business for 10 years and stuff. Um, and doing like super exclusive Hollywood parties or even just normal parties and doing sushi like that consistently for, you know, 
13, 14 years now, um, it's a lot of work, but it's yeah. good to have a trade skill because yeah. now today I'm still able to make money in a time where so many people don't even have an opportunity. I have all these different clients I can keep servicing, whether it's delivering, you know, vacuum sealed sushi grade fish for their freezers or making sushi for them. You know, and now we're, we're like four or five weeks in the quarantine. We're doing like a hundred orders on Friday, a hundred orders on Saturday. That's crazy in four weeks of like development mm -hmm. from starting off just doing like 10 or 20 orders. Um, no, I mean, look, we, we got it. We got it last week. And I was like, um, yeah, I'm hooking up my whole neighborhood. Like I was like, when my, when my neighbors saw me bring it down out of my car and they were like, they were like, whoa, where'd you get that? And I'm like, oh, I'll give you the information. You can get this. Like, and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, and so, you know, Alex, it's, it's always trying to be as like consistent as possible. Yeah. And, um, but that's it. So it, it's hard. Food is hard. Food's really hard work. No, no. And I know. So, and unfortunately, you know, I've been mentoring a lot of kids now, we're training them, and I'm like, look, man, have as many trades as you can. Like, mm -hmm. like it, it's hard for them, like, you know, people that do construction or do food service stuff. Um, yeah. It's it's rough, man, like doing your own dishes, working 12, 14, 16 yeah. hours. My days on site when I'm doing my big party sometimes are 18-hour days from start to finish. No shit. Yeah, I believe it. But that's that's the world of chefing, though. Like, <laughs> but the, you know, the money's good and can be consistent. Right now, everything's sideways, but people still want to eat, and that just goes to show that people want different stuff. So I'm really thankful for my skill, and um, I've been doing a lot of lecture series too on sustainable fisheries and stuff, and that's kind of like my contribution as being like a water person and where we're going to go forward is sustainable fisheries around the world, mm -hmm. what's good, what's not good. And I've been doing lectures in LA and stuff uh, about that. And um, Oh, that's pretty I, awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you've read that book, Four Fishes. That, that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's funny because that the intro to that book, like his whole reasoning for doing that book, I grew up, you know, fishing in Long Island as a kid. Yeah. And through the years, I like go back and forth. Like when we lived in New York, I'd go back and forth to fishing. Like, you know, I do it for the summer. I wouldn't do it, blah, blah, blah. And when he talked about that thing that like, hey, I used to be able to catch fish on this one spot and now there's nothing. I experienced that firsthand and I'm like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Like, this is like, like it's, it's an issue that people just don't, they don't they don't realize the impact they can have with their consumer dollars especially when it comes to seafood because they could change the paradigm very easily by just what they buy what they eat and what they purchase and i think Absolutely. people just need to be educated about it. and it's great having someone like yourself doing that uh, right this know. is a total side tangent that no was was born of necessity i mean if it was up to me i would paint sir yeah. every day all day long and never look back but the world chose me to be in this position to like do food and not only that like i didn't want to be like i felt guilty the first couple of years i was working as a sushi chef just like in the waste and the product we're using yeah. and, stuff, and it didn't feel right and now you start to set yourself on a sustainable like uh, sourcing ethically sourced seafood platform mm -hmm. and you learn so much and you see all these crazy things that are happening what people eat what they shouldn't be eating and um yeah, yeah. I, I now realize I've been chosen to kind of do that. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm in some interesting talks right now with some interesting investing groups to maybe open larger restaurant kind of like, I wouldn't say franchises, but larger restaurant concept, you know, based upon sustainable California-style sushi, which would be awesome. No, which would be great. I mean, I think the, the thing too with the sustainable fish thing and, and one of the things that like, you know, growing up fishing for food wasn't for sport. My my family's from Croatia. When they yeah, when I'm they Croatian. landed, what? I'm Croatian. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, my dad was adopted from Croatia, actually. Oh my God! Holy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful. Fish culture too, for sure. Yeah, beautiful. so I spent I spent every summer there as a kid working on a no sar- on a sardine boat and spear wow. fishing. Yeah, so like I so my family so like my family when they moved here, they were just like they didn't know any better. Like when they moved to Brooklyn, New York, they were like I'm just <laughs> gonna go to the beach. Yeah, they're like, Oh, there's water there. I'm getting a fishing rod and a hook and bait and whatever we catch we're gonna eat. But we ate a lot of what people would co- quote unquote say like is garbage fish, right? Like it's not fancy fish but that's the whole thing with the sustainable fish movement there's so much fish that people like bycatch that they're throwing out and like that they're not eating and i'm like this fish is still very good and actually some of it's better than what you have been kind of ingrained to think is good you know that's like the segue to the topic of all topics which is the uh you know the tuna <laughs> oh forget it's it all, it's all about you you know and unfortunately so many people don't realize what is in the tuna they eat a lot of the time, you know, whether it's it's real or whether it's um, saku tuna, and, you yeah. know, like people. So my, one of my biggest like lecture thing, education things I do is just talking about the story of tuna and like where we are today with it. And people just, I mean, they don't understand, you know. And like for me as a sushi chef, it's my least favorite fish to work with. It's the smelliest. It's always the gamiest. It's yeah. the most parasitic ridden, you know. And then if you look at the cheap side of like where the pokey world is now, that's you know. A saku product that's injected with CO2. You know, it's dyed with dye, and um, it's horrible. It's, it's poisonous for you, and yeah. more or less. I mean, like, let's just be frank with it. Yeah. But you know, it's an FDA-approved product, and it is made from a fish at one point in time. But it's kind of like the chicken McNugget of fish. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. No, and that's <laughs> the thing that people don't realize too is like. It's not just what you're doing to the environment, it's what you're doing to yourself, right? Like a lot of this right. fish, like, you know, and people were like, oh, sardines are disgusting. It's like, actually, no. sardines are like probably the best thing you could do to eat. Like those kind of like high omega fatty fish and all that stuff. Like the last thing you want to eat is an apex predator because the food chain that it's gone through, you know, by the time you get that piece of fish, it has eaten so much garbage. Right, okay, because right, our planet right. is so polluted. So right. you want to go down, lower the chain. Like go right. down, lower the chain. You know, right? People don't. No, don't they don't. They don't understand. <laughs> no, but that's that's a thing. That's like it's great that you're doing it because it's like it's something that I'm actually like side passionate about. Like you could tell, like it's something I get off on, and like I love. You know, one of my favorite trips I take every year is I go to the Outer Banks for a week, and I go fishing as part of that trip, and I get to fish off the front of our house, and whatever I catch that night. I feel comfortable eating. It's safe. Yeah, it's it's like, like I'm like, this is, and the- that's, you know, and there's also something, uh, you know, like very human about that. Yeah. Providing well, yourself with food from the water source. I mean, it's intrinsic in human nature to have that, you know, it's well, like, well, it's funny. It's like, it's like fire fishing, you know, these kind of things that are yeah. bred into you. Well, it's like my wife always tells her friend, she's like, I married a real man. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, she's like, if God forbid something happened, I could send him to the woods or to like a, a body of water and he'll come back with food. Like, like we're good. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's, that's very East Coast and very Croatian of you. Yeah. 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 She's like, she's like, okay, he, he, he could do this. Um, I want to talk about some of the brands that you've worked with. Now you've been working out uh, with uh, Breaker Out Suits. How did yeah. how did that start? How did that relationship start? Um, you know, they were just about to relaunch Breaker. I think maybe Breaker Out had been around for like a year because they had just acquired it, the Axe label, Mr. Takahashi and those yeah. guys. And um, 
you know, Devin Howard actually was one of the big ones that helped uh, push that through. And like, I'm always thankful for Devin for um, hooking me up because you know I wanted to start working with a company that could really kind of like meet the demand of stuff that I wanted to do. And so I met Eric Kioki, who's the um, axe liaison here in mm-hmm. California, and he does all the fittings and stuff like that. And um, we had a meeting about it. You know, Devin was like, dude. Colin's looking for a new wetsuit sponsor. Uh, I think he'd be a great fit for Breakout. You know, like, you know, you should guys should talk and see what's up. And um, Breakout also was like, you know, a North County brand, San Diego. Okay. From 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 uh, as far as I can remember, you know, it was it was full Southern California. One of the Oceanside pros that was from here, Mike Lambrisi, had their suits. You know, and it was like a big deal to be a kid and be like, "Whoa, those were the Breakout suits." Yeah. So to like be an older surfer and be like, "Whoa, there's a chance that I can ride for this company that I like, loved as a kid with an automatic." And then you're dealing with Japanese quality, and then you're dealing with the Axe guys because they're all made in the same factory as Axe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're you know some of the best manufacturers. No, those are the. the I mean, I think- and they're a manufacturer. And that's what people don't realize is you know there's like six or seven hundred wetsuit companies in Japan. But there's only a handful of guys that actually make the stuff yeah. themselves. Yeah. So many people, they you know, they put their designs into these companies, and the companies produce their wetsuits, and then that's it. These guys make the wetsuits themselves. That's yeah. like it's as rare as it gets. Yeah. And um, having the meeting with Eric too is funny because, you know, you should probably just ride black wetsuits because that's what everybody does too. But Eric was like, "Yeah, we're not really making many black wetsuits. Like, we want like." Make some crazy stuff. They wanted, like, you know, some of the designs I submitted were just insanely, like, wild and stuff. But I was drawing on, like, a lot of military stuff, too. Where I was, yeah, yeah. Like, taking World War II bombers or fighter planes. I'm like, dude, that would be sick to do this and this and this. Yeah. And then, you know, through the design process, you barrel it down. And um, it was just crazy to get, you know, a real set of suits from a company year after year, like, consistently, like, here, go out and do the work and, you know promote the suits and like i'm so i've been it's been like what the coolest one of the coolest relationships i've had with the company no i love those jackets like your jacket that you have with all that military look to it like i remember seeing it i was like i was like dude that's pretty hype like like i'm i'm like like when it comes to the wetsuit thing like it's either got to be like it's like the the spectrum for me like the actually the bookend it's either got to be all black all all like smoothie or just get crazy, like like it's either right. got to be one one or the right. other. Like I'm just like it's a fine geez. line too to not look too ridiculous. No, no, no. You stuff, don't want to like, look like a clown. Like it's no. like like like. So it's 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 hard. Like last year we did a production suit with Breaker Out that was made that wasn't like hand stitched. It was made in the Shaco factory that everyone's wetsuits in the world get made out of. Okay. Um, O'Neill, Quicksilver, all those guys. And so we did a production line suit though. We sold the whole line of it out. It had a better price point. Because yeah. a custom fit suits are expensive. Yeah, it's, um, and this had this had a, a you know a two hundred and twenty dollar price point on them, and the suits are awesome. I have a whole set of those, um, so I've been stoked. But now you know we had we were working on a new suit that I just love, and I want to drop it so bad, but I don't know what's going to happen now. You know, with 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 everything, and how yeah. everyone's going to survive, or who's going to be able to like make these crazy fringe suits. This one's a lot more simple, but it's dope. Yeah. It's dope. Well, it's it's hard because like you know when you talk about like this more unique surf product, the audience isn't necessarily big by the numbers, but there's a loyalty and there's a 
there's besides there's a loyalty but there's also this thing where they care about the product like they get behind brands you know like i know i'm that way with like what i wear and stuff like that like i spend the more money the quality's there right. i know it's consistent like kind It'll of last for years yeah 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 it's like look at look at cj's suits man he has the same suit for <laughs> forever seven eight years no man. no and that's how it should be like it's a thing that I tell a lot of surfers, like I know like a lot of surf dads who are like aren't in our world and they're like always asking me like wetsuit advice. I'm like, okay, I was like, you could go down to Jack's and you could get that O'Neill sail suit and you're gonna be buying a new one next season easily, if not sooner. Or right. you could spend this money that's twice as much or sometimes three times as much and you're not buying a suit for five years. Like right. make the choice. You know, after you start writing a wetsuit that like is custom fit to you yeah forget <laughs> it's, it it's, it's for real for real like you, you know I, I tell people like and eric says the same thing he's like well dude people's arms are longer they're shorter yeah. their legs are longer short like dude just you know get on file with a company like that man and have it made like my dad is a huge guy you yeah. know like big big guy and like that was a game changer for him surfing especially older he's like dude i have a suit that like it fits me perfectly and that's really rare you know so I, i've been really stoked with them and i love Japan. I love Japanese culture. Um, I love going over there. Um, it's a really cool, fun place with rad people. They're so passionate. Well, it's also they, they also like under. I think the thing because they sell a lot of my product out there. Like I sell more product in Japan than I do oh, here, yeah. here in the yeah. U.S. They care about like quality. Like I can. Quality. It's all quality. Yeah, like all my stuff is made like you know handmade here in 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 Southern California. Like there's nothing being shipped out, and the price point is higher, and it's out you know my japanese stores like they come to me they're like no this is what we want this is why we get yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. from you like it's okay and we pay and we sell it for this much it's it's not that they they want the quality well then the crazy thing is like i look on i look online and i'm like oh i'm kind of curious how much they're selling my stuff for and i'm like whoa you guys you guys brought this up like crazy like you guys the wonder you didn't have a problem buying it for this much from me because you're making way more money on it uh kind of thing um, yeah. I, so I wanted to kind of wrap this thing up with like two questions. Um, sure. It feels like there's never time you can talk hours, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, if you had to pick one place to surf that you've surfed in your life as being your favorite place, what would it be and why? Uh, it's tough to say because there's so many factors now that have changed your idyllic romantic yeah, places. Yeah. You know what I mean? And especially that's, it's all crowd related. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because like you're just gonna pick any like zone, zone. Like I'm crazy in love with Solidita area, and not just because of Solidita, the wave, you know, just that left, but like the ranch left, and like surfing Troncones and stuff. And yeah, um, that place is pretty dreamy. Now you know they've done the Mexi Log Fest there, but everybody knows yeah about the place, you know. And not to say that I was like one of the original people on it, but like we were surfing there, you know. 12 years ago uh, and then there, was a, there, there weren't that many people there no it's not like no. now like now you know like you could really get some you know morning sessions by yourself kind of thing you know i had some really cool moments surfing like six to eight foot solidita with nobody around light offshore yeah <laughs> like, oh, dreamy dreamy spiritual experience what a special place i've had some really cool experiences there me and cj once surfed there um and like um like a true bosco like a like a rainstorm with lightning blew in from the jungle from the mountains oh jesus and, you know, me and CJ were like, it's the spirit world and we had this surf session with like howling wind 
offshore wind blew the waves perfect and we were surfing in like a torrential downpour and there was turtles popping up and we were just screaming and lightning was striking it was crazy so i mean if there's a place i'm so connected and i love i love the people we shot a lot of forbidden trim down there i mean i guess i guess i'd have to say solid dita solid. i love i love avianas in costa rica uh -huh. and that whole zone like surfing negra and stuff like that but it's a different experience now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really crowded too now. No, no, it's, 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 look, I, I, I started going to Costa Rica in like, what, 98? It's changed. So yeah, yeah. Much. It's like, it's like it's 27 years later. Um, in closing, who would you like to shout out, thank? Just any last words? God, man. I mean, you know, there's so many people that, uh, help put you in certain positions. And, um, when I think about it, you know, we've already talked about a bunch of those people, but um, I would have to say the whole group, the people I know, the people I love, the times we've had, we go through this COVID kind of thing right now, and like you go and reminisce about all these different memories about like being in France with Jared or, you know, hanging with Steve, the Sano boys, Sano alone, my God. You know, it's a toss up, the last question, Solidita or Sano, those two things. So, you know, I don't know. I'd say keep it strong. I don't want to single one person out, but like everyone that's in there, even the people that are surfing and are feeling like, man, I'm frustrated. I'm not good yet. Keep practicing it. Keep the world alive. Like this is like the biggest bunch of free spirited, creative people ever made. Surf people, longboard people. Yeah. Like we're, we're the breed apart for sure. And nobody even gives a shit about that. You know, they yeah. just want to like live the life. And so that's what I say. That's the shout out to you out there, whoever you are. Keep the dream alive. Make art. Make film. Keep surfing. Love life. Thanks so much to Colin for talking with us. You know, I love what he's doing in terms of pivoting. We've had a couple discussions outside the interview about how in this time, if you're, if you're used to doing one skill, you have to think about how it's going to translate to the current environment. And he's done an amazing job of it. Make sure to check out his sushi delivery service it's amazing my wife and i have been uh, ordering from there it's so good and if you just need to change a pace to what you've been ordering the pizza and all that stuff and live in the oceanside san clemente area make sure to check it out i have a link in the episode description to that account and uh peep it but anyway want to get back to some tracks some fun stuff uh some jazz a little classically inspired stuff, and then I'll check in with you guys in a little bit. Peace.
Volume 63 of the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Hope you guys been enjoying the tracks. Like I said, this is just some of the stuff I've been listening to lately. Getting back into music, mostly because I have the time like everybody else does, and I started playing again. And I wanted to get back in touch with the things that inspired me to become a better musician. And this is some of the music that did. A lot of this has influenced me. Some of it's newer stuff, obviously. But when you talk about like John Coltrane, I think he was a big influence on me in terms of going out of the typical style that people play rhythm instruments. So I want to share some of that. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 63. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, for merch drops, blog posts, videos, that kind of thing. Also, Make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So one of the people that I'm talking to this episode is Mr. Corey Nolan. Corey is from New Hampshire, makes amazing fins, made me a fin, made Worm a fin. He's making a bunch of other people fins. So I want to just talk to him about that whole process, his business, and uh, hopefully turn you guys on to some new product. So what's your name and where are you from? Uh, my name is Corey Nolan, uh, and I live in Hampton Falls, New Hampshire. And how did you first get into surfing? Like, uh, Back in college, uh, I had an uncle who, um, who surfed a lot. He always talked about surfing and uh, spent a few years living in San Diego in the 90s. Oh, okay. And, and he gave me, uh, at the time, I had no idea what it was, uh, a 7.6 Eaton Bonzer. Oh wow! That, <laughs> that roached in the back of my grandmother's house for years, and oh my God. Uh, so that was my that was what I learned to surf on. It was you know, I was in knee high, you know, crap surf, trying to surf this bonzo that was way too narrow for what I was in. But um, yeah, it it got me hooked. So um, that and moving out to the seacoast a few years back. Um, was my intro to surfing. I was pretty late in life. I was in college, like I said, so uh, kind of similar to you. I didn't uh, get into surfing until I was an adult. Yeah, yeah, man, happens. You know, it happens to the best of us. Now, how did you? How did you get into like making fins? Like, how did that happen? Fins specifically, actually, was um, born out of me. Uh, so I make I make snowboards in my garage, okay. and um, I have a bunch of like cutoff material from that um, bamboo and. And one Christmas, I decided to make a fin for my brother-in-law, uh-huh. just sort of on a whim. Um, I made him a eight-inch sort of an L-Flex template for his mid-length, and 
once I made that, I, I, I'm sure the foil's all off on it now looking back. Sure. But, uh, it's just a lot of fun to dig into it, and I just kind of went from there and made a bunch of timber fins and, and things like that, and eventually got into making glass fins um, with epoxy resin and volant. And was there anybody showing you how to do this? Like, how did you learn? Like, how did, like, you know, did, um, like, what was, the, where was the learning coming from? Fully Instagram. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, I saw some people around here, like, uh, there's um, this guy, Nick Alejandro, up in, in Portland, Maine, um, under Netto Shapes on Instagram. Uh -huh. He makes a lot of crazy timber fins that uses his, he uses epoxy cutoffs and stuff, and 100% influenced by by his builds and stuff. Uh, I wanted to get into recycling my materials too, um, and now I'm just making fins from from scratch with with glass and epoxy and on top of the recycled stuff. Now, in terms of the um, the outlines of the fins, where are you getting the ideas for those? Um, so I spent a lot of time longboarding. Um, I'm you know I'm. I'm by no means an, <laughs> an expert at all, but uh, I, I just, like, I started looking into uh, um, things that Greeno talked about with his, uh, his designs and how I could apply that to longboarding. I started experimenting with some, like, uh, some stage, uh, stage six spinoffs and things like that. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, then also some um, some templates where I'm hybriding like a, like a foray with like a more pivot style fin. To it's kind of like a transitional flex mm -hmm. pivot fin, and that's my go-to. I have one that I call the Margin Walker. That's like a it just has a really wide base and it carries its width almost out through the tip, but the the rake on it really kind of gives you a great amount of flex. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a nice active fin. So that's like one of, one of the outlines you've come up with. That's your thing. What's the one that I that you sent me? That that, it, that is an outline that Worm sent me. Um, uh, it's kind of like an Aussie pivot, I would say. Yeah. It's uh, it's very vertical. It ha it narrows um, pretty extreme uh, toward the tip, um, and it has an extremely wide base. So yeah. it's going to give you a ton of drive, but I think it's also going to be very maneuverable. I have one in the works for myself to give it a go as well. Yeah, I mean, I've only used it once because of what's going on over here, and, like, I loved it. Like, I was, like, even in, like, I mean, we had a couple of days here with bigger Doheny. Like, it was, like, chest, shoulder high Doheny. And yeah. the, the corners that I could get on it were, like, the thing that I loved is, like, it had amazing turn. But then when I went to go walk towards the nose, like, it made my board more stable than it's ever been. Like, it's like kind of crazy. And I have the fin pushed all the way to the front of the box too. So you would think yeah. it would do, so I, I really loved it. I also just in general, like my my <laughs> my thing is like, I follow whatever Worm does. Like I basically ride the same <laughs> boards. I ride this, I'm like, and I ask her first and she when she got hers from you, I, she, I was like, what do you think of it? She's like, oh, you should get one. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, now you, how are in terms of selling your product how are you doing that now like let's say if someone wanted to buy your product how would they do that it's all pretty bespoke right now it's like it's basically uh send me a message on instagram and um <laughs> and uh i have to get it made for you I, I i'm i'm doing it all myself and um i i actually i've been fortunate enough to have a few shapers and stuff like that who come back to me and ask me to make their fins mm -hmm. um so i haven't had time to really make a stock for myself but that's in the works as well 
And who are you? Who are some of the shapers that are you're making fins for? Um, one's Curtis Wooden out in Carlsbad. Yeah. Um, uh, another is Tim Jump. He runs uh, Sakula Surfboards in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making quite a few fins for Brian Wynn down in New Jersey as well. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, and, and Green up in Portland, Maine. I've been working a lot with them lately. They've been great making some timber and um, glass uh, composite fins. And now with your, your fins, what is kind of the most important aspect that you try to put into it? You know, is it the, is it the, is it the design? Is it that it's custom tailored to the person getting it? What do you focus on most? Um, so my, my background is in graphic design. Okay. Um, so my sort of, my approach to building these things is from the ground up. I, I love everything about, um, coming up with the shape of it to the the layup of the glass or whatever material I'm using and the colors that go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a great opportunity to to express what I'm trying to come up with from the ground up. It's just, uh, there's no part about it I, I love or focus on more than the other. It's, it's all, it's all in. That's awesome. And so people want to buy your fins, pretty much contact you, look at your Instagram feed. What's your Instagram feed for your fins? It's uh, Hydrophile Surfcraft. It's uh, H-Y-D-R-O-P-H-I-L-E Surfcraft. Um, or Corey T. Nolan, K-O-R-E-Y-T-N-O-L-A-N. And, Either one of those is fine. And last question, where do you see your fin business going? Like, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to be doing in, like, let's say, six months to a year with it? Where do you see it going? Um, um, this whole lockdown has been great for my production. I've been able to really crank out some stuff that I've been meaning to and, and hit some deadlines I wasn't able to before. Um, my day job is at a sign shop as a graphic designer. So, um, I, ideally I'd be spending more time on this. Um, all I want to do is surf and spend time with my family and work on these projects. So, um, there's just going to be more of it. That's all I can really get count on because I'm not going to stop. No, see, that's the way to do it. I mean, and that's what's it comes out in your product. Like, I love, I love all the little notes. I love like that you have written on them and naming them after like you know Fugazi songs and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Like I love that. Like it definitely like resonates with me. Like I like, you know, ever since I've been like looking at your Instagram uh, feed, I've been like, oh my god, this is like so like up my alley. Like, and it's so good because it's so, it's so different than like what the typical like surf culture thing is you know it's kind of like like which i fucking hate like like, that's why i do this i fucking hate that i I spent a decade uh working for a record store um so like music has kind of fully tied into it like the word hydrophile is comes from the you know sort of from the word audiophile which is what you call somebody who loves records and all that stuff so it's all in the vein of music and that's why like i throw like lyrics and name them after bands and songs and stuff like that it's yeah no i i love it i think it's like another it's like that it's another layer of the personality of your of your product that i love you know like worm and i were talking about we were like this is like so like like part of the reason we're all into this like single fin alternative craft longboard whatever you want to call this like genre of surfing you know i hate to say it but i pretty much call it like hipster surfing like that's what it is to me. like i'm like <laughs> yeah. let's let's call it what it is 
but it's in the details and the details expressing the personality of the people working on the product and exactly. that's that's another layer of it that i love and like you being a graphic designer you understand to put that in your product like you know you get that you get that like concept driven um work and stuff like that so i enjoy it right. but I want to say thanks for sitting down. Thanks for sending me a fin. Um, definitely people need to check out your fins and um, hopefully we can steer them that way. Thanks, Corey, for not only talking with us, but also creating an awesome fin. I've got to surf it a couple of times. I really love it because it's a really interesting template. It's similar to what Thomas had sent me and I messed that fin up on the rocks and was bummed because I can't get my hands on another one. And this is very similar in the sense that it has this wide base, has flex, has a decent amount of rake. But the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, people like Corey, they're creating these products really specific to our culture and our needs. And I think if you're gonna spend money on a fin, or a board for that matter, definitely reach out to these kind of boutique niche people because they're gonna give you a personalized product that you won't get anywhere else. And Corey's attention to detail is amazing. So definitely check out Hydrophile on Instagram and see what he's up to and pop a fin in, see what you think. But enough of the jibber jabber, I wanna get back to tracks, get back to some groovy stuff going into Africa and I hope you guys enjoy. Peace.
Welcome back to Volume 63 of the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. How are you guys doing out there? Hope you guys have enjoyed the interviews, the chatting, the tracks. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, I definitely want to take a little departure this episode and do something a little bit different. Although I've done this on some episodes, but you know, I want to veer a little bit away from the hip-hop. Let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 63. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, for merch drops, blog posts, videos, that kind of thing. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player or player of choice and uh, see what tracks we played, see the things that we're talking about, links to it, that sort of thing. But I want to end this episode with uh, our famous short takes. The first short take I want to talk about is this uh, video that the crew from Daydream put out called Case Study 03 with Troy Elmore. So these case study videos that they do, and they've done a couple of them, is where they explore a shaper, the boards, what they're into and that kind of thing. And Troy Elmore is one of the best up and coming shapers. I tend to gravitate towards the Costa Mesa shapers because I like the boards they make. It's very Australian inspired. It's like if California and Australia surfing had the perfect child, they're producing those boards from Troy to Tanner to Grant, uh, Dano, like everybody's kind of like, it's this perfect influence and I love it. So this video is something that the crew over at Daydream put together where they do a little brief interview with Troy. There's some of his surfing. Troy's an amazing surfer and most amazing surfers are really good shapers. He can surf any kind of board. I love watching him surf fishes and twin fins just these tight beach breaks to see what he can do uh, so we have a link to the video make sure to check it out the next short take we have has to do with this surf film called Pentecostal that came out of uh, the minds of Wade Goodall and Shane Fletcher it's an amazing film uh, sponsored by Vans and I usually don't talk about shortboard films if they don't turn me on that much but this one was the type of surf film shortboard longboard whatever surf film in general that I love 
It has its own identity. It has a really great soundtrack. The visual look of it is so good. And all the surfing's amazing. It has Wade Goodall in it, Dane Reynolds, Harry Bryant, Nathan Fletcher, Pat Gudowskis, Dylan Graves, Nathan Florence, Caius King, and Tanner Gudowskis. The music is really good and matches the surfing and visuals perfectly. And I think that's hard a lot of times. A lot of times there's a forced nature, especially in shortboard films where they just try to force a song and they edit to the song and it doesn't work with the surfing. These guys really nailed it. Also, the visual look of it is really cool. These like drawing animations they did. And I know Kevin Jansen and I were talking about this film after we watched it. And it's really hard for surf films, I think, to have these signature identities, you know, where you could see a clip from it, hear it, look at it, and be like, oh, that's that film, that's that director. And this really captures that. This has done an amazing job of it. I recommend you watch it. Sit down. It's about a half hour long. And shout out to Vans for producing these kinds of films and for putting money into surfing that we love. This is what brands need to be doing, and Vans is one of the only large brands that's actually supporting what I consider real surfing. And this film is absolute proof of it. So thank you, Vans. Thank you for putting this out. Also, hats off to the whole marketing crew at Vans for how they did the premiere. I think it was amazing. Q&As beforehand, all that kind of stuff afterwards. In our current climate, this is what we have to deal with, so definitely check it out. The last short take I have is this film or clip that's come out of uh, New Zealand called Fantastic Revolution. It's by Le Noel Surfboards. I never heard of these guys. I just saw the clip over at Nobody Surf and I thought it was amazing. And I love all things Australian, New Zealand. You know, if I had a perfect place to live, I'd probably live there, to be honest. I would love to move there, uh, just surf there all the time. And this surf clip is a really cool kind of introduction to some of their surfboard designs. If you go on their website, which we'll have a link to, you could see some more of their designs. And it's all, a lot of that historical updating that I like that comes out of Australia where they'll take something from like the 50s, like a pig or, you know, a late 60s involvement style shape and do an update of it. The boards look sick. Like the boards look amazing. There's this like Wayne Lynch inspired board that looks sick that I would love to try. Reminds me of, of uh, a little bit of uh, the jazz pin that, that Chris Hall makes. It had that kind of outline. Uh, but anyway, check out this clip. Much props to La Noelle surfboards. I love these little brands popping up. Support your local brands and New Zealand's dope. But that's the end of our episode, volume 63. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks to Colin, thanks to Nolan, thanks to everybody involved, thanks to our sponsors who keep uh, food on the table, keep this thing going. But you know, it's definitely getting better out there and I think we still have a long way to go. I think if we're vigilant and we keep doing the things we've been doing, we're gonna get out of this mess sooner than later. And I think that's the biggest takeaway with all this stuff is that you could throw Caution to the wind, go outside, do whatever you want. You have the freedom to, of course you do. You can do whatever you want. Legally, you're not obligated to stay in your home and all that stuff. But if you want this thing to end sooner than later, based on science, based on fact, based on statistics, and based on math, do what's suggested. Keep clean, wear the mask outdoors, social distancing. 
I know it hurts. You know, we've been two to three months into this and a lot of people are going crazy. Believe me, my kid's going crazy. I'm going nuts. But the sooner we get out of this, the better. And I think we just have to be vigilant and stick to it. And I'm seeing a lot of positive signs. The other thing too, you know, Worm and I were talking about it during our Instagram live and she touched on something that I think was the best piece of advice, which is just lean into it. You know, the world is going to be different for the next year and a half. And you could get frustrated by fighting the hell out of it and inventing conspiracy theories and all this nonsense and stuff like that. And you could get caught up in that. And if you feel like doing it, knock yourself out. I know for myself and my family, my friends, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to try to be more positive. I'm going to try to take advantage of this time. And if you can take advantage of this time, be kind to other people. You know, a lot of people are struggling mentally with this and that's going to be the mentally and economically. And that's going to be the repercussions of this event more than the physical harm of the virus. So right now is the time for us to put some, put some feelers out there to our friends who might be showing signs of struggling, uh, single friends, what, families, you know, that need help, a kind word, a text message, ordering food for someone else, tipping people who you get your food from and that kind of stuff. These are all little steps that we could do now if we can. Also, support your local economy. Support your local vendors. It's very important right now because your dollars will go a lot longer supporting your local vendors than in Amazon. It'll mean a lot more. So get your coffee from your local people, get your food from your local people, tip, that kind of thing. In general, I just want everyone to be happy. I'm very excited about what the future holds. I think we're past the point of it being gloom and doom, but let's not stop being vigilant. Let's be kind to each other and let's see each other out there. And listen, now that there's waves out there, remember our words. There's no need to bust the craze on wave. Be kind, smile each other, six feet away of course, and always have a good time. See you out there, peace.
Push up, push up, power. 